Hi everyone and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James here and I am joined by my fantastic co-host Jay who actually is sat in the other room today. It is somewhat surreal having my co-host here actually in the flat but there we go. Hi Jay. Hey, it is so weird to see you. And I bet if I started laughing right now, you could probably hear me. Oh, we've already done a knock on the wall test. If I knock on the wall, yes. you can hear it. Yeah. So Jay's here, for, um, has been here, well, nearly a week. And um, you come over to visit. So it's been great to have you. But we're not talking to Jay today, although we will talk with Jay. We are talking to a wonderful guest. And today's topic is something that I think we all have a lot of involvement with, whether we realize how much we rely on it or not. But we're going to be talking talking a bit about email. Our guest today is Helen Horseman-Allen from Fastmail. Now, you're the COO of Fastmail, so we're not just getting some, you know, engineer. We've got the COO on the show, folks. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And also, I, I, um, I just wanted to say congratulations on like seven years, because I, I, I saw the fact that it's been seven years since you've joined Fastmail, and, I, it, and, and it was just cool, like, like seeing that, it's, that, it, that the tr- transition has gone so well. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's great when you get to do what you're good at with great people. And I feel like Fastmail has been the, the best place to be doing email these days. Awesome. So Helen, before we actually start start talking about Fastmail and email, would you like to tell people a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about your story and how you ended up coming to Fastmail? Oh, sure. Of course. Thank you. Well, I'm Helen Horseman-Allen, Chief Operating Officer at Fastmail. But I started my email career in 1995 at PO-box.com, uh, which at that point we, we declared was the world's first email forwarding service because we didn't know anybody else who had done it before us. There, it was mostly email forwarding and personal domains and digital identity, and we told people, buy an email address for life, right? Back in the day when... People got email addresses through their business or their ISP. The idea that you could have an email address that you could take with you anywhere um, was kind of the core of the P.O. Box idea. And I ran that business for 20 years until I sold it to Fastmail in 2015. And since then, have gotten to spend more time on the email hosting side, the email client side, right? What is the experience of people interacting with their email? I still get to do a lot of work around digital identity and what your email address can do for you. But now there's there's so much more. And so it's been a really exciting process for me. And Fastmail had already been involved in a lot of really interesting work in the open standards community, in building the future of email. And so I'm really excited that I get to be part of that. And I just got to say the interface is incredible. I I have been impressed. Like even one of the things that like I use a lot of my in my day to day life is aliases, and you have really nailed creating the aliases and using the aliases. So great job there. Absolutely. So and there's so much we can talk about now. You know we are big fans of Fastmail. For full disclosure, we use Fastmail for. Cross wires. There's, uh, I want to be really transparent. There's no sort of paid promotion here. Helen has appeared, is appearing on the show of her own free will. Though, you know, I've got to wonder about that decision, Helen. Um, you know. <laughs> oh, I mean, I got to wonder about mine. I might be getting more feedback than I want right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, but what that just means is this is an open and honest discussion about email and about fastmail. And, you know, I hope that comes across. So thank you again. So, but before we start down the route of, of why Fastmail and particularly more about digital identity, I guess a question a lot of people ask is, why do I even need email in the world of social media? 
Well, for sure, uh, people have been predicting the death of email almost as long as I've been in email. So, you know, going on 25 years now. But, right, like email is a really interesting service because it's really those two things, right? It's both your message content and how you interact with that content and that digital identity piece, right? And so, like, when you talk about the content side, Social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all those things, but even things like chat or SMS that you use more with people you know personally, all of those are really a kind of like unlocking new forms of content, new styles of communication. And like, of course, you use them for different things, different purposes. And some of the things that email wasn't great at before, you know, have, have gotten pulled out of email and have gone over to these other platforms. And I think that's like totally fine and totally reasonable. And to be clear, you know, the way you communicate on those platforms is not the same as you communicate in email. It's not meant to be the same as you communicate in email, right? You don't email people tons of memes and you certainly don't do a like a long thread of reactions. It just just doesn't make sense in that platform. But that was also true in email too, right? Like I remember when people thought that emoticons were going to be the end of people's ability to share meaning in writing, right? If you put a, you know, colon and a parentheses can you even write anymore? Right. But we all survived, right. We still share meaning in writing. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the transition and that, that same feeling comes up again and again, but you know, the, the second one, digital identity is really very interesting to me. And I think one of the big reasons why email does continue to survive, right? Like I've had my own domain for many years. I'm sure you have too, probably for the same reason, right? A domain is a digital identity that you can actually own, right? Not borrow or rent. No matter how long I use my Twitter handle, ultimately my ability to use it and communicate from it rests with the Twitter corporation, right? Like if they decide tomorrow I can't use it, that's it. It's over. Um, a domain actually allows you to own your digital identity. Your email address and your website, they're open standard protocols. So they're places that everyone in the world can contact you, no matter what email platform they use or what web browser or what network provider or anything else. They don't have to sign up to be a special customer of those places. They can just do it. And I think that's a really powerful, important idea and why those things are, you know, ubiquitous. Everybody has one. Not everybody has whatever platform is the biggest platform today in Portugal or Japan, but everybody has an email address and we can all communicate across them. Absolutely. And, you know, I echo that because, you know, the number of times I'm trying to get family members, you know, we're going to be doing an episode about this very thing soon about the breadth of chat apps and which ones are safer than others, maybe. Again, saying to people, oh, do you have, oh, I always call out Signal, do you have Signal? No, I've not heard of Signal. Oh, okay, fine. But you can pretty much say to anyone, do you have an email address? Oh, yes, I've got an email address. And, you know, I always loved when I was, you know, I was still working sort of an office job, email tennis. People really didn't get what email was all about. The emails, you know, I think, is it fair to say, probably more for long form, almost a letter replacement than a instant messaging platform. Yes. Email is good for detailed content. It's good for messages you're sharing with people who you don't engage with all the time, right? I I uh, tell people all the time, you know, like I engage in nonprofit and volunteer groups. I do not want to be on their Slack, right? I, I If I'm spending two hours a month on you, I want you to come to me and I want you to come to me in my email box, right? So yes, it's it's absolutely about certain types of information and how you use it, uh, you know, and it's not the most convenient way to decide what time you're having dinner tonight, right? With your three household members, right? But But it is great for a lot of other things. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Helen. That's really, really interesting. I think I couldn't echo your thoughts more. Now, let's talk a little bit about the sort of services that offer email. Obviously, you mentioned, obviously, you're from Fastmail. You mentioned your own biz- old business PO box. And of course, when people think of email, they probably think of a few big names. Gmail, Hotmail slash Outlook.com, whatever Microsoft are calling it these days. 365, right? Is that <laughs> always changing? <laughs> always changing. And I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, Yah- oh gosh, Yahoo Mail, you know, back in the day. Still in the day. Still in, is it still going? Oh, yeah. And, and one that I always think of is I always think of the movie, You've Got Mail, the, the, the one with about, about the, uh, the pen pals over email, over AOL email. I always think about that in email that like, cause that, that was back when they said, Oh, if it's not a written letter, it doesn't mean something. And I've had some very passionate, serious emails that I, I, I've exchanged with people over email. I mean, we once had a team outing where we went to see You've Got Mail not too long ago, like, three or four years ago. And in that movie, as you may recall, the big bad guy who's going to crush the small businesses of the world is Barnes & Noble, which, you know, 20 years in on Amazon, you're like, oh, how sweet and quaint that is. <laughs> yeah. The coffee in the bookstore is what's going to ruin bookstores. <laughs> oh, dear. No, no, it's not. No. Ah, oh, dear. Let us know. Obviously, we don't. We want to be very careful here to not disparage any other email providers. But you mentioned digital identity, and that digital identity and your privacy for me come hand in hand. Because once you've got your digital identity, it should be yours, and you should be the only one who gets to decide what it, what that data is used for. We're striking that fine balance. What is it? Why aren't all email services created equal? What is it maybe that we need to watch out for when we put it into context of digital identity and privacy? You mentioned particularly, you know, the portability of your email address. So uh, a great example, I always remember, I always sort of said to people, if you sign up for a new ISP, don't don't take their email. Have something else because you stop that ISP service. You know, the number of people I know who are still on ntlworld.com email addresses, NTL being an old ISP here in the UK, and can't change it because everybody knows that email. I mean, I still have people who have AOL addresses for exactly that reason, right? What you're... 20 years in on an email address, you're not exactly going to give it up. But, uh, you know, I think it's, again, I, I do love kind of that, the difference between your email content and your digital identity. Because, like, from an email content standpoint, many email services are quite similar. And, you know, and it's interesting because in some ways, it's it's such a well-understood service, it can be hard to innovate in it, right? Because people have certain expectations, right? And I think we think a lot about how we can kind of push the envelope of that and how we can uh, add more or simplify or put tools in the right place without like totally overhauling your email uh, experience. But you know, when you log into a mail service, you want to see a list of your messages and you want to click on it and you want to read it. So, so they are very similar to that. But what you can do with your email address is a different question and one that I think we have a particular interest in. And there are a lot of email services out there, and I think that's one of the great things about running a business that is built on open standards because there's space for that, right? There's space for people to have their own different takes on this, right? In our case, I can say a full half of all of our customers don't use our web interface. They use email clients. 
And that makes perfect sense to me because I've used so many of these clients and they each have their own unique perspective on email. And the idea that you can find the one that's right for you and just use it the way you want to use it is kind of a beautiful thing about it, right? Imagine if you could really customize your your Twitter experience or your Facebook experience instead of just getting what the algorithm decides it wants to give you. There's a lot of power in that. And so that is one of the big benefits of email, that you can have that distinction. You can have people who want to focus on right inbox zero versus people who have absolutely no interest in that. But of course, the other thing is everything just comes back to money, right? And so one of the things that I think that's great about Fastmail and is great about you know a lot of paid services on the internet is if you're paying for it, you're the customer, right? And when you're the customer, you get to have an opinion about how the service should work and what you're getting out of it. And when you're getting it for free, you know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. But the other thing is you probably should realize that you are the product, right? So how are they making money off you? Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes you don't know. You know, and a lot of times it's it's your time and attention, right? So you know, to be very, because I can probably say this words, you maybe got ads on on the free services, and maybe data collection that isn't as desirable as we would like on those free services. But as you said, that's kind of the bargain that you make. You don't pay for your email in exchange for these features, or rather. Let me rephrase that. Or rather, those expectations that that is what they are going to do with your your data and your email. Now, I don't think anyone's going out and saying that any email provider that I know of is going out and selling all of your email content. I don't think that's an accusation anyone's ever made, and I don't think that's going to be fair yet. But it is things like advertising. You know, there's a reason that ad blockers are such big business, and tra- tracking prevention. I mean, look, I'm very transparent. I run a pie hole on my network to prevent tracking from all sorts of sites. And it's not, you know, we could go down a whole different rabbit hole, but it's not just, you know, online services. It's even my smart TV, my Roku. It's actually the biggest offender of blocked requests. That says a lot about the price of your data. And I think that's a key thing now, of course, when you're paying for a good email service and you know that your voice matters, I think is it fair to say, and we, we look at Fastmail as a great example here, you get what you pay for and you get some great services. So we've already mentioned how easy it is to set up. I mean, the thing I loved was the provisioning profiles for macOS and iOS. I've never seen that in outside of corporate email. Thanks. That's a, that's a terrific compliment. And yes, we, we do spend a lot of effort trying to make it easy for you to set up. But, you know, I do think privacy is a really interesting question. And I spend a lot of time thinking about privacy and I've, I've spoken a fair bit about privacy and the difficulty with privacy on the internet is I think most people don't, don't really know how much of their data is going out in the world, right? It's not obvious. You know, I, I say to people a lot, you know, if you have uh, curtains on your windows, that you close at night, you care about privacy, right? But it's just not as obvious in the digital world as it is in the real world. My husband also works in technology. And when we got a new washing machine, he's like, I'm getting the dumbest washing machine I can find because the last thing I need is my washing machine reporting on me to the internet. (laughs) But like, 
most people just don't really think about that, don't really think about the fact that their TV might be reporting on them or their you know, streaming platform might be reporting on them or why anybody would want to buy this data, right? Like, what does it even matter if they know how often I turn on my TV? But, you know, it really is a lot about this time and attention and building these profiles of you, right? And so online privacy really is about who's tracking you, what they're gathering, and what they're doing about it, right? And I would say people are like, okay, cool. Well, that's great about like network security, I guess. Or maybe like I also will buy a dumb refrigerator now instead of a smart refrigerator. But what does that have to do with my email, right? But I think in the last 12 months, we've actually seen a lot of privacy attention focused around email and specifically around like email addresses and how email addresses let companies track you. Apple launched Hide My Email, Mozilla launched Firefox Relay, FastMail and 1Password, you know, like together we launched Mast Email. The idea is really that in the same way that your social security number can be used to build your credit report, your email address can be used as a unique identifier to build a profile of you that can be bought or sold or used to just get access to your attention. The good news is, and you know, I think in a lot of privacy questions, it's like, okay, cool, but what can I even do about that, right? How can I stop my Roku from reporting on me, right? And you've got a pie hole, and you've got like the technology smarts to set that up. But I'm a nerd, yeah. I'm an out-and-out right. out nerd, yeah. For a lot of people, it feels too hard, and so for me, one of the things that really excited me about doing the partnership with One Password was the idea that you could put that intervention, right? Like the opportunity for you, for me to personally take action to protect myself at the point where I need it the most, which is when I needed to create a new account somewhere, when I needed to give somebody a way to identify me. So all of these services like give you this tool to short circuit it. And it's super simple, right? Give a different email address to people. And it doesn't matter because they're all going to be the same place for you. The, the second bonus, of course, is really uh, the extreme case, which is that it helps protect you in the case of a data breach, right? The first big data breach out there was Target, right? Where the whole corporate database got hacked. But at this point, frankly, dozens of companies get their customer databases stolen every year. But if the email address and the password that you use to access Target.com is only ever used at Target.com, the information that's in that breach can't be used to access any of your other accounts. Like both of these are kind of a little bit nebulous and out there benefits, but they're really valuable. Right? And then the last one is the most immediate one, which is that then you can see who's sending you email and what email address they're sending it to. And when you're like, oh gosh, this email address that I gave to Target is suddenly getting a lot of mail from a lot of places that aren't Target, you can just turn it off, right? You, it puts the control back in your hands. Absolutely. And what makes, because you've mentioned hide my email, which I, th- I think it's fair to say for is a great thing for Apple to include out of the box in I, I think one thing I want to shout out for not to trill for Apple too much but they do include a lot of privacy focused features for people who are all in on the ecosystem I mean I, I'm an Apple user and I have to give a lot of props to Apple they really have uh, prioritized and lifted up the conversation around digital privacy in a broad way but also in a customer friendly way right it is not the idea that digital privacy is about paranoia, but rather about something that we all deserve. So I think that's really important. And I, I love the work they've been doing there. No, it's, it's fantastic. And, and there's that wonderful scale, isn't it, of security and convenience. And I think most people ideally should sit somewhere in the middle of that scale. 
because that is a little piece. Of course, you're going to have people who, due to the nature of their roles or due to their um, political uh, career or their status, various factors might need to be at the more secure end. But for a lot of people, very simple services work. Now, let's talk a little, what makes mass email? Because you mentioned pre-show a key difference, which I'll be honest, I've forgotten about. But Hi My Email only works with an at iCloud.com domain. And we talked about digital identities. What's the benefit of mass email over Hide My Email? So when you kind of come back to how all services are not created equal, like you get to see across the gamut of services they offer what's important to them. And obviously one of the things that's really important to me is digital identity. And so when we built Mast Email, of course you can get Mast Email at fastmail.com, but you can also get it at your own domain, right? And we have had pl- many customers who bring in a domain just for using with Mast Email and other customers who use existing personal domains to use with Mast Email. But in all of those cases, what you get is is really like 100% portability of that service. If you are invested in protecting your digital identity, I think that that protection should outlast the relationship you have with my company, although I would like that relationship to last for a very long time. Absolutely. And that is one of the we should mention, of course, um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but Fastmail have an incredibly generous number of email domains that you uh, custom domains you can pull in. I think it's 100 per per account? It's 100 per account, and it's actually 100 plus one for every user you have. So if you, for some reason, had another 100 users, you could have 200 domains. Wow. And I think one thing that I want to also bring up, because I've set up email on, uh, I, for domains through different services, like one thing that I find incredible is that you know exactly why things aren't ra- – like, for instance, the interface shows you, like, why isn't my email routing here? Like, I, I one time set up an email forward to another um, domain provider, and I was like, why am I not getting my email? I messaged them and I said, oh, well, we put a spam filter in in between your email, and it's like, well, you could have at least told me that. And and, and I like that FastMail puts you in control of how your email is going to get to you. It's a, I mean, without going too technical, the domain setup experience is, is fantastic. We, we have, I have two domains. I have the Crosswire stuff and I have my freelancing business domain. And we said, well, you know what? We might as well just bring in Jay's domain as well so that she can use it. You know, the aliases stuff, um, little, uh, little features like, for example, um, plus addressing uh, for folders. We've we've used that as a prime example for everyone. So when if you email our podcast at crosswires.net address, uh, so that delivers to me and then there's a shared folder to Jay. But then what we have set up is a sending identity that will see BCC in a um I won't give the exact address, but it we format it in such a way that it dumps that email into another folder within my account, which then Jay gets access to, so we can both see what we've been sending. I feel like I'm going to talk to you guys after the show's over because we're actually doing work on shared mailboxes now, and I would love to hear more about exactly what you do. I have, yes, I think it's a really powerful feature that we're looking to make uh, even simpler and easier for people to use because for exactly that reason, people tend to have a, a group of things they want to be able to share. Absolutely. And for collaborative email, we're obviously using our podcast as an example, but for small business and for, you know, one thing I've noticed a lot of charities, you know, I'm, I'm quite he- quite heavily involved in my church and other charities, but they really struggle to get good quality, privacy focused collaborative email set up. 
Yeah, because the amount of times I will see like a, a charity or even a business be like, we are so-and-so at insert main public um, email, email <laughs> provider dot com. And I'm like, you could have set up a mask domain and that way you could use it on whatever service. And I'm just like... <laughs> One of my all-time pet peeves is when I go to a website and it's like hollyscupcakes.com. And you're like, you're great, Holly. You bought the you bought the domain. And then at the bottom, it's like email me at hollyscupcakes at gmail.com. And it's like, yeah. so close, Holly, and yet so far. <laughs> no cupcake for you, Holly. <laughs> Before we jump in, because there's so much we want to talk about, I want to talk a little bit about a bit more about some of the other features of Fastmail that people maybe overlook. But before we do that, I want to just ask you a little bit about the pricing model because you've got a great pricing model. It's really simple. If you're happy to just, correct me if I'm wrong here, if you're happy to just use Fastmail's web client and apps, which are still wonderful, your web client is really smooth. But if that's $3 a month per user. Mm -hmm. And even less if you pay by year or pay multiple years in advance. There we go. And But if you want to be able to use standard... Now, the nice thing, of course, is you are... Because email is an open standard, you can use any IMAP-enabled email client. Cough, officially subscribe, exchange online. Didn't say that out loud. Um, (laughs) But you can use any... So you can use Apple Mail. And, of course, as I mentioned, if you are using Apple... Well, I love the provisioning profiles. I use Apple Mail, to be clear. (laughs) It's totally cool. (laughs) No, it is... Do you know what? I love Apple Mail as a client, but if you need something else, maybe you are a Linux user, maybe you're a Windows user. Now, I have to be honest, I haven't yet found a great Windows non-Outlook Mail client. And I would, hey, if any, if anyone out there listening knows of great email clients for Windows, email them over, podcast at crosswires.net. Let's use that fast mail address to get some email in, folks. But, you know, maybe you're using Thunderbird on Linux. Maybe you're a PopOS user. Because you're based on open standards, the IMAP standard and SMTP, you can be used with any any client. Now, of course, you then add an extra layer of security. You encourage two-factor. You use app-specific passwords for every client that connects, and you make it so easy to generate those. Well, in fact, in the last couple of months, we've also been doing more outreach to get more of the mail clients to set up OAuth. So it's one click. That's right, emoting at me, which I love. Jay's very excited, yeah. Right, and it it should be simple, right? And like passwords and security are complicated, and the more we can simplify that experience so you know what you're getting with a minimum of effort is really important to us. I think even even our friends at 1Password will be glad to see the death of passwords. In fact, 1Password is much more than just passwords. They right. are ready for all these things, as I am well aware. And, and, and Helen, the biggest reason why is like at my last, uh, my last job, that was half of my work was the email collab, uh, configuration on so many different devices and clients. And the fact that you're making that easy just like makes me so happy. So if any uh, mail client listeners are out there and you want OAuth in your client for FastMail, please email partnerships at fastmailteam.com. And let's not even talk about trying to set up email on multifunction printers, shall we? Oh. <laughs> no. Because uh, in fact, let's just not talk let's about just- printers. Let's yeah, not at talk all. About printers. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, apart from apart from email, one of the other things, of course, is most people associate email by itself, but email tends to come, particularly when we look at Gmail and we look at iCloud, tends to come with your contacts and your calendaring as well. And let's be honest, that the stuff you put into your contacts and your calendar is is incredibly private. Do you want that information potentially being used against you, like certain appointments? 
Yes. I mean, we definitely talk about this all the time. Your contacts and your calendars are are very sensitive data. They provide a a really complete picture of your life and also really important to you, right? Like when you get a phone call, you pick it up if you recognize it because they're in your contact list, right? So I think it's really, really important. I will say one of the things I discovered here at Fastmail is one of the reasons why email and calendars tend to go together is because calendars are built on top of email. So if you've ever wondered why calendars are so bad, it's like, well, it's all the bad stuff of email plus their own layer of bad stuff. So you have to work out both layers. We've done a lot of work on calendars and calendaring standards and how we can not only make our own personal calendars better, but like the calendaring ecosystem better. So this is a topic that I care a lot about. And most people don't care a lot about. They just are like, how about it just works? And it's like, I'm with you on that too, right? It should just work and you shouldn't have to be a calendaring expert. But when people are like, why are they so bad? I'm like, there's a good reason. And it's email. Because <laughs> it's all built on. So is cal- calendars that we know today for the most part are all built on top, top of uh, CalDAV standard if I unless mm-hmm. I'm mistaken. But the way invitations work, the way RSVPs work, the way changes to your events work, they all work by email. So if your email and your calendars aren't connected, then you don't get all those changes. That makes a lot that explains some of the horrible experiences I've had having calendars on one service and emails on another right, okay. So and again in, in Fastmail, wonderful shared calendars. We have our recording schedule shared works really well Um, and oh another prop you spoke about partnerships can i just say how glad we are that you've part or either savical partnered with you or you partnered with savical but either way around savical having fast mail integration for the calendars thank you so much i'm so glad to hear it thank you yes we're very excited about our calendaring integrations that we have uh now and coming up and you know like for me part of this is When you talk about the benefits of this open standard network, the way you prove it is by giving people the experience that makes the most sense to them. So I'm really uh, excited about kind of the partnerships we've been rolling out because you can tell you're having the experience you want if you have your choice, right? Like, I think people talk a lot about, you know, the choice of the marketplace and it's like, is there really a choice, right? Like fast, there's no choice on Facebook, you know? I came up in that like first generation of online businesses. I knew a lot of young people who were like, I'm just going to get out there and start a company. And they're like, wow, on the internet, nobody knows I'm 18. I look like a real business. And, you know, and we all learned a lot and we all did a lot of things. And you know, like the idea that there should still be space for new entrants, new ideas, you know, new products, I think that is what kind of keeps us all moving forward. That's what keeps te- technology moving forward. And, you know, we, and contacts, you know, one thing, uh, contacts are one of those things that's really always irked me in terms of, not in terms of, well, actually, they can get so messy. If you've got, say, for example, different email at different service providers. In fact, we, we had to do this for Jay. We had to move all of her Gmail contacts to her iCloud contacts and some to her Fastmail contacts because, you know, we, we're using the podcast stuff for, um, excuse me, we're using Fastmail for our podcast contacts. But that's not easy on a smartphone. You actually have to do that on the desktop. I'm so I've never come across a good way to do it on, on smartphone. But also contacts are, one thing from a privacy standpoint, when you and maybe you dis- I don't know if you disagree with this, but when you have someone, so say, for example, I've got your email address in my contacts now for, for purposes of the show. That's a purpose I've agreed to have that. You've agreed for me to have that contact. 
Or if I've got, for example, a friend's phone number so we can go out for a drink, that's that's a reason. But then when you sign up to things like certain social media platforms or certain chat apps, and I think we all know which ones I'm hinting at because... Just upload your contacts so we can find all everyone you should connect to. And now here's a question. At what point have your friends given you consent to upload those contacts to that service? That's a great question that I'm sure some courts who do GDPR cases would be very interested to hear. <laughs> But again, what, so your your calendar, your calendars and contacts, you've built those on top of open standards. They just work. What what would you say to people again in terms of does it make more sense based on that sort of mess of calendars and email to have if you're a fastmail user to have all your calendars and contacts in one place to use rather than using, say, for example, iCloud? Or you know, nothing wrong with iCloud calendars and contacts. There's nothing wrong that you know. And I use iCloud calendars and contacts with, you know, my family who are on the iCloud ecosphere and not uh, the Fastmail one, right? I obviously have a Gmail calendar that I use with people who are engaging with Google. I mean, one of the one of our real goals is to acknowledge that people live in multiple digital ecosystems, right? And that we should make that work for you and we should make that easy for you. So you can have your Gmail calendars and Fastmail. You can have your iCloud calendars and Fastmail because that's how the world works, right? Like you are going to have content in those places, right? Uh, You know, your actual contact, your address book. uh, We do like when people upload it to Fastmail because it, because we can make your email experience better, right? Like if you are getting email from your mom, we can tell you probably want it in your inbox, even if there was a link in it that turns out to be spammy, right? Uh, she probably didn't know. Have you been reading my emails? Because <laughs> that's exactly the sort of thing my mother would send. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's awesome. Now, one final thing I wanted to, to sort of ask you about, and I hope people will get this reference. <laughs> how, do fast, how does Fastmail fight for the users? Tron reference absolutely intended. You know, I think there's a lot of ways that we can and do take that idea at Fastmail, and I do think it is really motivating for us, right? I, you know, I get to work on product design at Fastmail, so I'm very familiar with the sentiment that most people hate their email. And that makes sense, right? Your time and attention is a valuable commodity and people and companies and your email platforms often want to get as much of it as possible, right? And so at Fastmail, we try to recognize that your email itself is not an end goal. It's a tool to help you get to your end goal, right? Whether that's communicating with a colleague or signing your child up for an after-school program or keeping track of your online orders, email is a way to get where you're going, not a place where we want you to spend all your time. So I actually spend a lot of my time thinking about how we can minimize the time you need to spend to get things done so that you can get finished and get back to your life, right? So whether that's giving you your new new tools to organize, new mail coming in, showing you your recent discussions with somebody in your sidebar so you can tell why you are contacting this person, or just letting you customize how your mailbox looks, right? Like we want to build around you and what you want to do rather than some kind of predefined idea of how you should be doing it, or even frankly, what your goals are. I know a lot of people in the email space, and certainly a lot of people in our company are very into the idea of inbox zero, right? Inbox zero is like this 
mystical utopia that we can someday reach when we have no mail in our inbox. And I certainly have fallen prey to this idea, and it's, it's a beautiful dream, and we all work on it. And many of us were shocked to discover there are there's a large group of people out there who don't even believe in Inbox Zero, right? That's not even a goal they're trying to get at. They're like, no, Inbox Maximalist, bring That's all the me. email on. There you go, Jay. Or <laughs> <laughs> did I say that is, is, uh, James and I have had a, a little bit of a talk about this. When, when James saw how many unread emails I had, he was like, Jay. I don't mind. I have no problem with you have because I have probably thousands in my inbox. But when your unread count reads five hundred and thirty, that starts to send alarm bells and wonder. Hang on a second. What about that email I sent you about that sponsorship opportunity we need to work on? <laughs> it's a. To- it's just a totally different mindset, right? The idea that that your red count, your red status, is a really important indicator to you, right? And so. There are lots of different kinds of users out there, and Fastmail tries to make space for all of them. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, for that reason, I I only have my badge count on on my uh, Apple Mail set to uh, for certain things like uh, conversation threads or VIPs because I don't want to be alarmed by how many emails I have. Mm-hmm. One of the great you talked about customization of your email experience. Um, one thing I love is just even some of the, the nitty gritty things like be able to choose between folders and labels because if you've got someone who's been a user of outlook for decades i mean genuinely this happened to my dad right they don't want to become a label user they're they're happy with folders yeah but if you've got someone who's come his company transitioned him from an on-premise exchange to gmail overnight with no training i mean that in itself is a big flaw and of course guess who it fell to to train my dad on using labels yeah, that's yeah, good stuff. <laughs> but if you've got someone who has been a Gmail power user for the last ten years, they love their labels. Why take those away from them? Exactly. So you know, recognizing there are lots of different types of emailers in the world, lots of different calendar users in the world, lots of different contact users in the world. I think we do really do try and put ourselves in that experience to say. Great, but everybody wants to be spending less time on this kind of maintenance work, and they want to be getting back to their real life, right? And so then I guess the, the last thing I would say here is, you know, when we talk about our digital standards work, when we talk about open standards and how we build out the future of email, one of our big motivators really is around users writ large, everyone in the world, and the idea that these this kind of work is really important in terms of providing long-term access to your data, right? That your data is only yours in the sense that it is portable, that it is consistent, that you can take it anywhere else, right? I can get a download from Facebook, but I can't do anything with it, right? Your email, your calendars, your contacts, right? You can download it. You can take it somewhere. You can take it somewhere else. It's yours because you can use it, not just because you can export it. That's a really good point about data portability. Data portability doesn't mean, oh, here's just a download. It means be able to do something with that data. That's a great point. Thank you so much. Because I'm going to actually be moving some stuff from another service to Fastmail very, very shortly. 
you can tell we're a bit all in on fast mail over here at Crossways, folks. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's what honestly, it's what inspired to reach out. Genuine, we only reach out to products and, and service providers who we genuinely believe are doing a good thing in, in the industry. So that's why you're on the show, Helen. Um, so thank, thank you. you. And I have to say, I was really inspired by you know, reading about the show and how you really want to take a positive look at technology, right? I think that's something else we think a lot about because when you're talking about data privacy, you're talking about digital identity, you're talking about, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that can make you feel really bad. And the reality is, I love technology, right? I'm all in on technology. Yeah. I, I am here because I think this is great. And so ha- taking a positive look at things, saying, yeah, sometimes there are problems, and here's some concrete things you can do about it. I'm, I'm very motivated by that, both in our work, and I do feel like I have to plug our podcast, which is Digital Citizen, right? And it's really kind of about that across a lot of spheres and a lot of different looks at how to be a great digital citizen in technology. I'm a big sci-fi reader this year we have an author of a book i loved on the show which really thrilled me and i was like yes we could get more more authors i like on this show that would be amazing right but the idea that like technology isn't just people who write code it's how we all interact with it and it's the ideas that motivate it right like sci-fi writers are out there on the leading edge of what could we be doing with the tools we're building in this world and so i i find that really interesting and i was glad that we could bring that into the show too and yeah i love technology i mean uh I I I just want to tangent quickly to say like like James and I have a have a friendship that was what was uh what was was founded through technology. We yeah. were on a Slack channel somewhere and we just started talking and became friends. And it's like that's that 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 cool aspect of te- of technology that otherwise I never would have known James at all if it had been for, had it been for technology. He certainly wouldn't have been on a flight over to Heathrow, and I wouldn't have had to get up at, get up at five a.m. to come and pick you up from the airport. But <laughs> other than that, you know, I mean, one of the one of the great episodes you had recently was Troy Hunt uh, from who created Have I Been Pwned, which another wonderful integration into One Password. Uh, we're huge One Password fans. I know other password managers. Well, <laughs> other password managers exist, but this. You know, and again, that's another thing. Why why do people need to use password managers when iCloud key changes? Well, because one password and tools like one password are far more. I mean, we we drilled when we were setting up our new WordPress site over the SSH um, integration, little tiny things like that. Mast email being built in, which means uh, so just to as a wrap up point to highlight something really cool here. If you're using one password and fastmail and you have master email integration set up hide my email from i from apple only works in safari master email works in on any browser on any platform wherever one password extension is installed which is these days is pretty much any platform you can think of and i, I just think it's fantastic so do make sure you check out both fastmail um it's just fastmail.com fastmail.com and uh, I assume the Digital Citizen pod, uh, podcast is in all good podcast stores and all the really bad ones too. It is indeed. <laughs> there we go. Fantastic. Helen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And Helen, obviously we can find the Fastmail team on social media, I think just at Fastmail. And are you on social media? Yes. Yeah, so Fastmail's on Twitter at, fa- at Fastmail, and I am also on Twitter at HHorstall. But also my email address... HelenaPobox.com since 1995. Nice. And, and question on that one. Did you bring that one and it has an alias to Fastmail? Yes, I does. That's exactly right. 
Although I teased my husband when we got married that one of the uh, best reasons to hyphenate your name in this day and age is so you can get your own domain. Oh, I like it. Like a, Oh, yes. Yeah, like yeah. A, you can get the .com if you make up a totally new name by merging two of them. Oh, because no one else is probably going to have that combination except... That's right. Nobody else is HorsemanAllen.com. Smart. See, <laughs> oh, yeah. see, see, see listeners, here, the, here are new tips for, for you. New tips for your email domains. There we go. <laughs> Uh, it's hard enough getting our, our Twitter handle, never mind everything else. Anyway, thank you ever so much, Helen. Thank you, James. Thank you, Jay. It's been a real pleasure. And I will ask you more questions about your use cases after the call ends. Absolutely. Hi, folks. It's James here. After we recorded the episode, Helen and the wonderful team at Fastmail sent over a little link for us, a little gift for you, our fantastic listeners. With this link, which will be in the show notes at crosswires.net forward slash P forward slash digital identity, you'll get 10% off your first year of Fastmail service. That's right. 10% off your first year of Fastmail service. Thank you so much to Helen and the team. We appreciate that so much. So do check that out if you want to get 10% off your first year of Fastmail. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? Make sure you follow us on Twitter at CrosswiresMG. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos. And keep an eye on our Twitch channel at frostwires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening. 